This is Mary Jo Dion, and you're listening to the West Coast Tapes of the Julian Dion Podcast Comedy Hour. Shit. <laughs> hey everyone, this is Sean Proudlove, and you are listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Pod, Comedy Hour. Oh, fuck. Hello, this is Jason Lamb, and you are listening to the West Coast. Sorry, Julian. Okay. <laughs> this is Aaron McGew, and you're listening to the Julian Dion. Uh, let me try that again. <laughs> Julian Dion Comedy Hour Podcast. This is Alex Big Dick Wood, and you're listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour. <laughs> was that right? I got that wrong. What was it? The Julian, Julian Dion Comedy Hour Podcast. You know, this would be so much better if you were high. If you were high. If you were high. Welcome to episode 24 of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. That's right. Coming at you, as always, from Lemon Press Studios in the Distillery District, downtown Tirana. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Ah, what's going on? How you doing? Are you good? Oh, glad to hear that you're good. I'm good. Two. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Thanks for the emails. Email the show pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Let's start. Let's start on the right foot with a plug. <laughs> is that the right foot? I don't think it is. Let's try that again. Moncton coming to you. Coming at you. Coming directly inside your city. Wait. Friday, November 19th, an evening of comedy with Julian Dion and Jen Grant comes at you at Empress Theatre. Yeah, that's right. Get your tickets online at capital.nb.ca or uh, that's capital.nb.ca. Okay. Uh, Cal Post is my guest today. We go way back. We go. Uh, I met Cal on my first ever trip here to Toronto, which we'll talk about. And turns out the only period in time in my life that I've ever kept a journal. I was going to do it, I think. I came to, I won the Great Canadian Laugh-Off in New Brunswick. And uh, the prize was to come to compete in Toronto. Toronto. And so uh, I stayed with uh, Cal and Joanna, Joanna Downey. It was great. First experience in Toronto and it's, anyway. So Cal Post is my guest. He's a funny comic. 
He uh, runs Spirits Open Mic. And we'll get into all that in a little bit. Cal Post. Callington Postition is my guest today. All right? I'm a little bit nervous. I got an audition for a... Um, it's kind of out of my element. It's for this show called, I guess, it's... What's the show called? What is it here? I have it here. Almost Genius, okay? Which is um, kind of like, I guess, from what I can understand, it's kind of like video on trial meets Tosh.0 sort of thing. with Where they'll have like a cast of like six to eight house comedians or regular comedians on the show. Anyway, so I just uh, had an audition. But the, the thing... It requires a lot. It's like, okay, first uh, part of the audition, you have to, uh, with excitement, uh, tell them how what you would bring to the party. The almost genius party. Which, all right, that's fine. And then the second part, here's part two of the audition that's kind of the trickiest, is you have to come up, you have to uh, introduce and perform three characters of your choice. And then the third part of the audition was pre it's pretty easy. It's like you memorize a, a script, which is like a provided script, which is like one of five paragraphs you can memorize. And then you do two different performances of that paragraph, which that one's pretty fine. But the character one is the one that has me kind of um, thinking. I came up with three characters. The first one is uh, Stan uh, Stanfield. He's a business guy. He owned a small to medium-sized business, uh, but he has a hip-hop laugh. So this whole thing is like, um, uh, I feel stupid saying it. So I imagine I'm going to feel stupid <laughs> doing it in the casting room. But uh, so he'll, he's like a conservative, small to medium sized business owner. And he has a hip hop hype laugh, but he doesn't realize it. So it'd be like, uh, thanks everybody for coming. I appreciate you being here. I won't keep you long. I'm just, uh, we're just going to go over some numbers because, you know, I know how to have a good time. Ha, 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 ha. 2014. Anyway, we're here. So that sort of thing. I have a second character, which is um, uh, Kip Maidupnam. And um, basically, he is not a dad, but he breaks awkward, uh, social awkward situations. He diffuses social awkwardness, if that's such a thing, with um, dad jokes. All right. So he goes through a bunch of awkward scenarios like calling you call your friends ex a bitch and then he's like oh we're back together and then he drops a dad joke anyway sort of thing and the third character uh is a guy inspired by my friend michael von hagen mvh uh hank vigmone who's a vimone who is a in carpet sales anyway uh and him uh, he's never uh, understood how to use the expression hit or miss and he's been too embarrassed to actually find out, so he just uses it where he thinks, but he doesn't. He, he fails at that. So yeah, those are my three weird characters that I have to do in front of uh, five, uh, as a grown man, in front of five other grown people on Thursday in a quiet room. So that should be uh, good and weird. All right, let's get to my interview now with uh, comedian friend, all-around good guy. Uh, it's a good chat. We catch up. We go back. That's pretty much it. You're going to enjoy it a lot. You're going to like it. You're going to you're going to love the shit out of this. You and me below, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People 
all I need to lose. Sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, comedy This episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour, that's episode 24 with Mr. Cal Post, is brought to you once again. Oh, you know this one. Oh, shit. You know the shit out of this one. Echo One Photography. That's right. Toronto listeners, this is for you again. If you're a comedian or musician or business guy or woman or just a person, whoever, and you want to get some headshots done, well, look no further. Echo One will get you some damn good shots. If you own a business in the GTA and want to get some product photography done for e-commerce or advertising purposes, well, look no further because Echo One does that too. Christmas cards. It's that time of year. Get it done by professional. Some good Christmas cards to send out to people. That's right. Email Eugene at Echo1Photography.com. That's E-U-G-E-N-E at Echo1Photography.com and enter J-D-C-H in the subject line for Drives me nuts. I, I was at uh, I was at the mall. I was at the Eaton Center, and for like an hour, I got mad at the big fountain. <laughs> you know how crazy that is. Just for like an hour, just me sitting there going, I hate, "It's this fountain that just shoots water like 20 feet into the air. No one cares about it." I just sat there, like, I hate it. It's stupid. Because to me, it's just it's ignorant. And it's arrogant. It's a first world middle finger to the rest of the planet. It really, like if you were a kid from a third world country, like one of the thirsty ones. <laughs> Whichever ones those are, I don't know which ones they are, but those ones. Like if you were a kid, you've never seen a fountain before. Wouldn't you lose your mind? Wouldn't you see it and go, what? Well, look at that, it's just water pouring into the air. That's amazing. I don't have to walk eight miles. I don't have to carry it on my stupid little head. This is the best. This thing's okay. I don't know walking up to it. He's all happy. He goes to drink from the sky. And some asshole fat mall cop. Hey! Hey! What are you doing, brown kid? What are you doing? You can't drink that water. You can't drink it. It's dirty. People throw money in there. <laughs> what? And of course, that was my guest that you just heard there. He sits in front of me in Lemon Press Studios. This guy and I, we go way back. We go back about, specifically, uh, six years. Six and a half years. I found, uh, Anyway... He's the host of Spirits Comedy here downtown Toronto. He's uh, been in the game, what, eight years? Eight, nine years? Eight serious years, yeah. Eight serious years. He tours all over with Yuck Yucks, and uh, we'll just get into it. My man, Cal Post. Hey, buddy. Is here. How are you, buddy? Good. I was just thinking, uh, I like the, the first 10 to 15 minutes of any podcast. Right. Is fucking great, because you're not comfortable yet, Right. right. and y- you have this inside your brain thing going... I know I'm talking to people who are listening, right, right. But it's not quite a comfortable conversation between me and you yet. Let's get loose. That's why I offered you beer when you came in. I'll like, have a beer. You want one? Yeah, yeah, we'll get one. 
I'll go get one right now. With no. the magic of radio, we'll come right back. People won't even know like the time. Let me hold on. Let me morph a beer here. Hold on. <laughs> morph. Morph. And beer morphed just like that. Cal Post is drinking a Tecate beer. Yeah, you're right. It does feel like we're talking to someone, especially when you when you give a bio. It's like this is who I'm presenting to you. Yeah, and my bio is. Um fairly short because i've always been fairly uncomfortable really putting myself out there mm-hmm. i've been you know more always more concerned with the act and the jokes and the doing what i want to do on stage yeah and i've always had this mis- uh, distrust of the internet distrust of putting things out because because yeah, you, you don't have a lot of clips out there no i think i have two online and mm-hmm. they're you know they're dated like the first one's really dated mm-hmm. it's from years ago and the other one's a clean showcase set right so, so it's, n- nothing that represents you. Why is it that you don't put stuff out there? Because uh, I'm always looking at the next thing. I mm-hmm. I can be better. I can do better. And when I do better, I don't want the thing representing me to be less than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way, especially because there's so many new comics that just put... They'll do comedy for the first time and put it out there, and, and it's like, ugh, I don't know. It's just out there now. And uh, But I'm the same as you. As soon as I record a set, if I'm happy with it that night... Come the next day, I'm like, no, uh, that's already different. Like, I, I don't even want to... Uh, yeah, I've already added three jokes to it. It's a better bit yeah. now, and I don't want that one to represent that chunk. Right. I do like new comics that come out, and like, <laughs> they've been in it a year, and like, oh, yeah, I can do about an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. It's like, can, I understand you can talk that long, right? but can you really bring it? Because they'll ask me, I've been doing it eight years, seriously. Like, mm-hmm. how much time do you have? And I go, well, if you want me to really, like, bring it, I need, like, a half hour, super tight. Yeah. Looks nice, flows really well. Yeah, yeah. Tight but, beginning and end and Yeah, yeah, and there's just there's just no weak spot. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably say about the same thing. I mean, of course you can do longer, but it's then you just start adding holes in there kind of. Well, I can also do a lot longer because of crowd work. I love doing crowd work. I right. like talking to a crowd, which I don't I don't like how that looks on mm-hmm. tape. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. You can't I don't like putting that shit out there. Yeah, either. that's that doesn't relate that well. It's really like Comedy is like a, such a live art form. It's mm-hmm. so much better live, but especially with crowd work and stuff like that's really magic stuff in the moment. But watching it on a, yeah, online. it's intimate. It's it's personal with that group of people, right? So when you put it online, everything you put online does lose a little something compared to the live version of it. Mm-hmm. So when you, uh, but especially improvisation with a crowd, like it, it seems so simple when it's like on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And it's just not nearly as interesting. Yeah, it's like, of course you've thought of that, but like in the moment, you know. Yeah, yeah. you can actually look and go, well, that's not as good as his other jokes. Right. Yeah, but right. in the moment, like I just thought of that. You know yeah. how fucking amazing that is, that connection I made? Yeah. But Let's talk a bit about uh, Cal Post. Now, I, I brought out this notebook because I've never kept a journal in my life, ever, in, in like ever. I've just It's not a thing I've done. And uh, But I did write journal entries for like one week of my life. And that's the week I met, <laughs> met Cal Post. Actually, Cal, I kind of have like a special sort of sort of bond with Cal because um, my first ever time in Toronto doing comedy was in 2008 for the Great Canadian Laugh-Off. I had won like the regionals in, in Moncton or whatever. And first time really doing comedy outside of Halifax. Halifax was the furthest I'd ever, I'd ever done. And I'd never been to Toronto. Fucking and, love doing jokes there, man. Oh, Halifax, Halifax is the best. Yeah, there's no bad crowd there. I've never had a bad crowd. That's Especially you roll into Halifax because uh, they have the club in that hotel. Yeah. 
the Westin. At the Westin. And you, when people come in, you're like, ah, they seem a bit older. They seem right. a bit conservative, you know, dressed, you know, nice. Yeah. I'm sitting there in a t-shirt and jeans in the back like, ah, fuck, they're going to hate me. Hmm. They're going to fucking hate me. What am I going to do? Because, you know, I'm dirtier and swear a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm, I'm like this before every show. I'm just like, ah, oh, God, these old people aren't going to like me. Yeah. And then I, I get up there and they're the best people in the world. They're, they have a sense of humor about everything. Everything. Yeah, they're great. That's the club where I started, actually. That's where I did my first ever set. They, but yeah, I think all comics do that. You find one thing in the audience beforehand when you're scanning to justify failure. You're looking you're like, yeah, there's one person with white hair. They're going to fucking hate me. Like, yeah. You just, you just kind of look. But what I've learned is that most like older people, and maybe it's because I'm getting older as well, um, have a way better sense of humor even than younger people because mm-hmm. they've lived a life and they know that it's all just ridiculous. Right. Life is a silly thing. Let's, yeah, let's make fun of it. Yeah. And you can, you can step over lines and boundaries and they'll appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's like you said, they've, they've heard it all. We take them uh, for granted a lot for some reason. But uh, yeah, so when I came to Toronto for the first time, you know, when you go through like something like that, uh, you know, first time in Toronto, first time doing comedy in Toronto, it's such an intense experience. The people you, you sort of uh, hang out with in that time, it's a, mm-hmm. you, you get like an intense bond. And you're one of those guys because I stayed on yours and Joanna's couch. Yep, I remember that. 55 Charles. We played fucking Jenga. We played Jenga, yeah, with <laughs> Kate and Cleve. Gorilla Fingers and Cleve. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's inside. That's so inside. Um, but I met you on uh, April 7th, 2008. I can't believe you have this written down. I, I can't believe either. And, and I think my intention was to write one, like I was here for a week, for eight days I stayed with you guys. And I think I was, my intention was to write every day because it's such a big experience. And I wrote three. But yeah, the first one uh, I wrote, uh, I mentioned you in the first one. Just said yeah, he's met, a bit of an asshole. Met Cal, great guy, <laughs> walked to the Riv, met up with uh, Eddie anyway. But on April 8th, I wrote uh, 2008, day two in Toronto. Um, Cal tried to make me suck his dick. Very uncomfortable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was uncomfortable, but warm at the but same I, time. But I still need a place to stay. <laughs> That's so. right. Uh, it, I just said Cal woke up. Uh, we went for coffee and bagel. Uh, nice day out. Came home, had two cigarettes, watched some Bill Hicks. The, remember that morning by any chance? I don't, not no. at all. I I remember, of course, because it was like my it was big experience for me. But uh, yeah, we woke up, we smoked Belmonts. I remember. Mm-hmm. In the house. How in often the, does that house, happen? On the couch, starting the day with uh, two cigarettes and coffee. That's how I start every day. Still watching Bill Hicks was the best. Yeah, I don't watch him anymore. You've gotten over him? I love what he did, and mm-hmm. I appreciate it, but he was, a, he was a guy when I started. One of the first sets I ever did, I, I've been doing it eight years seriously, mm-hmm. but I dabbled in it for years before that, just playing around, like do a set one month and not touch it for six months. Mm-hmm. But he was one guy that I watched really early on, which is detrimental to a new comedian. Oh, yeah. It's you the think worst you do, fucking thing. You, you approach it with that sort of... Uh, oh, yeah, you got this, I'm going to change the world, man. Yeah. I'm going to change it. It's like, no, you're not. You're 19. Shut the fuck up. You're 19 and you have no skill set to do so. I mean, even like a comic like Bill Hicks, who's so like, uh, he's like a prophet almost. The things he was talking about. You don't start doing comedy that way. I mean, he started for the first so many years. He was doing impressions of his parents, you know. Oh, he started when he was 15 too, right? right? Yeah. So So where did you start? In Toronto? I started in Toronto. So when you talk about having these, you know, great feelings coming into Toronto and Mm -hmm. it's a new experience, like I started here, so I don't really have that same kind of... And I got babied into this business. Right. So babied. Like, I see other guys grinding out of the open mics. I still go to the open mics, work on stuff. Mm-hmm. 
because it has to be done. Mm-hmm. You want to find those bits, those good chunks. Open mics are the best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just for talking and hearing yourself. Right. Getting comfortable. But uh, when I started, I'd met Joanna, mm-hmm. who was who the original host of Spirits and producer of Spirits. Joanna Carmen Downey. A, Joanna Downey, fantastic, amazing comic. And who, uh, at that point, how many times have you done it when, when you met Oh, Joe? a handful of times, a handful okay. of times. Less than 100, mm-hmm. easily. And where did you meet Joe? Met her down at the Rivoli. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And uh, at that point, she was host of the uh, Spirits and the Eat House. Yeah, and she was working with Yox, mm-hmm. and you know she was an established comic. Yeah. Uh, so we ended up hitting it off really well. Uh, we started dating. Mm-hmm. Very fun. But because of that, I, my first two years in comedy was on the road. Mm-hmm opening for her oh right oh is that right or i you know because i wanted to go see pro shows i love watching yeah. pro shows so i'd go and i'd sit there and a lot of the headliners were very sweet uh one of the first headliners i ever worked with was uh, bill mcintosh mm. yeah, i don't think he does it anymore but no, uh, he's gone to newfoundland yeah so and i always have a soft spot for him in my heart because he was the first guy i showed up he's like man you're doing a spot right i was like ah, nah, i just came to watch wearing like a dirty white shirt and jeans and i did i just i just come to watch he's like well, that's stupid. You're here. Why wouldn't you do it? Do you love it? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, then fucking do it. And where was this? Uh, that was in Mississauga. Yuck, yucks. Uh, fantastic show. Had a lot of fun. But then I started doing that every chance I could. So my weekends were spent already working pro without getting paid, but without having the skill set to be paid either. Right. But it was a great learning curve because I was already with guys who were great. Yeah. So I had to step up really fast. have to step fast. up, and it's weekend shows. People have an expectation. They pay 20 bucks. They go out. It's their night out. You know, it's like... It was nerve-wracking as fuck. Like, yeah. just nervous all the time. And mm-hmm. it took me a long time to learn how to get over that. Because uh, that when you start comedy, your fear is you don't want to be bad. Right. I hope it's not bad. I hope it's not bad. I hope it's not bad. And you take that energy up with you. Oh, for sure. And you're fucked. Yeah. Essentially, like it's let's say fifty fifty, you're gonna do well. Yeah, yeah, and you don't know why. When you do well, you don't know why. When you mm. do bad, you don't know why. You're just like, oh, fuck, I'm just doing the same thing. Yeah, it's just a whirlwind of shit. You're like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't know. Yeah. And then, but you know, once I was able to get over the nervousness and just be excited to be up there, because now I sit in the back and I just can't wait to get on stage. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, that's more of an age thing. Just growing up, I, I find pure happiness in performing. Yeah, and creating for an audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's something I didn't appreciate as a younger person because I wanted it to be the career. I wanted it to be the job. I wanted to get paid. Mm-hmm. But once I was able to accomplish that part of it, even in the small amount that I have been doing it, like I do make my living off it, but I'm really underground in terms of um, people's knowledge of me. Mm-hmm. But once I was able to get into that world of it, it is my career. It is my job. Now I can just go, oh, I got a new idea. Like, they don't scare me anymore. Yeah, yeah, right. Like I see a crowd, and I'm like, I really want to talk to these people. Mm. I have a new joke. I have a new thing. Before, if I had a new joke, it would take me months to work up the courage just to put it in the fucking act. Just to try, yeah. Just yeah. to see. Yeah. Because, like, I, I don't want to take the chance that it bombs, but now I'm just like, oh, I got all this new stuff. This Bill Cosby stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. It's been a lot of fun to riff on. Mm-hmm. And I don't condone any of his behavior, but uh, the actual topic itself is such a meaty topic. Yeah, totally. And I mean, you have a certain pressure because now you host Spirit, so you have a pressure to, you know, um, deliver new new material. Or if it's not new, the audience has to see that it's been worked on and that it's evolving, at, you know, at some rate. Uh, we'll get into that, how that be- came about. 
in a little bit, but let's talk about those early years again. So you're doing like weekends at clubs, guest spots, any small town road shows and stuff like that, like opening up for Joe? Um, in terms of small road town, not so much because mm-hmm. those are harder. Yeah, so hard. And they don't really want to take a chance. Right. And I and if something bad happened out on the road, mm-hmm. uh, like at a, a convention hall or something like that, it would get back to the office. Totally. So I did have to be careful in terms of... I had to make sure the managers liked me at the clubs. Because mm-hmm. if they reported back that I was doing a guest spot, with not being with Yucks, not being a pro comic, they would have lost their shit. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, I was I was careful. I was smart about it. I've always been really good at not bothering people. Mm-hmm. Like just not, you know. It's like I'll, I'll just stay out of the way. Yeah. I'm like that with yucks right now. Like I, they work me very well. Right. I rarely have to, you know, complain about the amount of work I get. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're not holding me up in any esteem. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm under the wire. They don't really care that I'm there, but I'm good enough that they want to work me. Yeah, and you get and the job the, done. And I get I get get the job done. <laughs> I always find that's a, f- I hate that term. Get, Why? Get the job done. Why? It sounds like you're, you're putting in minimal effort. Well, no, but it's, it's good because, enough that everyone's like, that's yeah, fine. Okay. Well, you and I both understand it's a really hard job to, to do. So even mm-hmm. just getting it done, because a lot of people just don't even. I have a hard time even calling it a job. Yeah. I only do that for my own uh, mentality. Right. So that uh, I work on it every day because mm-hmm. it is incredibly fun and it's easy to lose sight. Mm-hmm. And just live a party life. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Totally. Without actually having to put, and you do got to put the work in yeah. all the time. So I, I, I get, I got used to calling it a job and a career just mm-hmm. for my own day to day. So I go, oh, I right, I got this career thing. Yeah. To do today. Well, you sh- and you should, you should treat it that way, for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, so you got a pretty good start then, because you're doing like quality gigs in the weekends, and then week time, like in those early days, how often are you getting up at Spirits and Eaton House? Every week. Every week. So you've got two awesome rooms. And especially at the time when there were not a ton of open mics. Right, like yeah. Even, even eight years ago. Yeah. Uh, now you can do an open mic every night of the week, mm-hmm. and on a few of the nights you can do two to three, mm-hmm. which is great, because it wasn't like that when I started. Right. So there, yeah, there was Eaton House, there was Spirits. Riff. There were a hand, and yeah, Rivoli, handful of other open mics. Uh, and a lot of them never had audiences because mm-hmm. it's tough. It's tough to get people to come out. So yeah, I really got babied in. And you had I like was, the, I was taken care of. Yeah, and, and you had the best of both worlds because Spirit's like a hot, fun room, and then Eaton House is like practice for small town road gigs, basically. Oh yeah, because it's like regulars. They're there all the time. Regulars, and then there was a rooming house upstairs that uh, really cheap uh, room and board mm-hmm. for. Uh, Usually it was, it was old alcoholics. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of them from Newfoundland. <laughs> so it was a Greek Newfie bar in the weirdest sense. So they'd come down and watch the show. And they'd just be drunk and heckling. And no one would throw them out because they lived upstairs. Right. So you just, and, but that, they just wanted to have fun too. Mm-hmm. Those, a lot of those guys had really sad lives. And a lot of hard drinking. Mm-hmm. So they just wanted to come down and joke with us. Yeah. So you could never be hard on them. That was where I learned how to, to treat a heckler. Right. So when I started, my impulse with hecklers was to just fucking go crazy. Somebody would heckle me, and I didn't. I was so scared of like of making a joke mm-hmm. and have it not working. Like I'd, I'd make a joke and it wouldn't work, and then I'd be like, "Fuck you! Shut the fuck up! This is my goddamn fuck, son of a bitch!" Like I just snap. Oh, that's such an amateur move. And it's, I mean, yeah, it's do it. very green. Yeah. So, but at Eaton House, I learned how to how to play. Right. And like, yeah, don't meet it with hostility. Embrace it because you're in that environment. So may as well just roll with it. 
Yeah, that's such an amateur move when you see comics flip out like that. And the reason is because we've all seen videos online of like George Carlin freaking out or whatever at a heckler, which is fine, but it's a completely different context. You know, he's doing it in like a theater where people are paying, you know, big money to see him specifically. It's his name on the marquee. But when you're at an open mic and it's a free open mic and people are there not knowing there's going to be comedy, all of a sudden there's, you know stand-up happening in the corner it's yeah, such yeah. an amateur move to like flip out but most heckling too is not malicious that's right a lot of it is just people want to play along that's they, right it's rare that it's you know stand-up doesn't have the stigma attached to it that theater has where you mm-hmm. know you sit there politely you calm and you enjoy a show mm-hmm. and you don't take part well there's not that fourth wall you know it's like, so stand-up it's people feel like they if they want to say something they will Right. So you just have to pick your battles, like which ones are malicious, which ones are, most of them are actually really nice. They're just playing along. Mm-hmm. You know, some people have a horrible sense of timing. Terror. Like I've been almost at a punchline. I'm just about to punch. And you're like, well, that's like this. Yeah. Like, ah, fuck. Yeah. You crazy bat. Yeah. They always think they're helping. Well, nine times out of 10, they think they're helping. 10 times out of 10, they they're, think they're helping. Yeah. And they're not. No. Yeah. Well, unless it's like a you suck or whatever. I've always attributed... Like, if I start a conversation with the crowd and mm-hmm. I'm talking, that's fine to me. Because it's not heckling. We're just having a back and forth. I asked you a question. Talk to me. Right. Uh, when you want to take part and it's heckling, that's now work for me. I still enjoy it, but it's, it's still extra work. Right. And whenever somebody asks, like, why can't I heckle? It's a part of what you do. You're supposed to be able to handle it. And it's like, nah, nah, nah. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. I should be able to handle it. That's great. But you can only handle so much. But I attribute it to, like, if you're at a day job, you're in a cubicle doing your job and, you know, it's five minutes before you go home and someone comes over and just dumps a pile of papers on your desk. Hmm. It's like, it's your job to deal with that. Right. But are you happy about it? Does it excite you that you get to, yeah, I can complain about hecklers once in a while because it it is more work. Oh, 100%. And it's like, yeah, something funny will happen out of it, you know, more times than none, but it's still... You're fucking up the flow of the show. You know, I've prepared this. I've got. Yeah, yeah. You know, I put so much energy in everything that's going out, and then all of a sudden, I have to deal with your bullshit. And it's so funny too, because the. But this is what I love about hecklers. They go, "I made the show better." It's like, "Nay, you didn't. I made it better." That's right. Yeah. You just said something. Yeah. And then I made it funny. Right. And now you're trying to take all the credit. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah, I have a buddy who I've told time and again he doesn't help. And every time he comes to see his show, uh, it's so embarrassing because he always heckles. And he's always so proud of it. He's like, <laughs> hit to him, heckling is his way of being like in the community somehow. He's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm one of you guys, don't worry. The worst hecklers are the ones you know, personally. Yeah. It always happens. Every time you, like a lot of times when you'll put someone on a guest list for some reason because they... they they feel like, oh, I'm one. Uh, I'm with the performers, so, and they fucking heckle. It's happened to me so many times. You want to hear a great heckling story? Let's do it up. Okay, so I used to do hometown shows. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a little town called Wooler, Ontario. Mm-hmm. So I used to go back there once a year. I'd uh, rent a bunch of buses, go and pick up people from all the small towns, really small country town. So we'd pick up a bunch of people from around town. They'd uh, get drunk on the bus, and they'd come to the gig. So the bus picks them up at like five or six. They get to the gig for eight and they're already hammered from being on the bus. So the last show I did uh, was Hunter Collins, a uh, fantastic comedian. He's opening for me. Mm-hmm. He's doing a half hour, then I do an hour. So he, he starts and he does a great job. Fantastic comic, but everyone's drunk and he's dealing with all these drunk people because he's getting heckled a lot. 
I'm like, ah, gee, this is going to be rough by the time I get up. (laughs) So he closes his half hour. People like it. It's fine. We take an intermission. People go outside and smoke. A 10-minute intermission turns into 25 minutes because people don't want to come back in. Right. Smoking outside. Everyone's drinking. They want to have conversations now. It's now a party more than it is a, a show. But everyone starts coming in. People are just smoking in the building now. No one gives a fuck about the laws. People are sitting on uh, uh, coolers full of beer. Like, that's their seats. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's insanity. So right before, Hunter goes up to bring me on when everyone gets back in. And my stepfather, I won't use his name just because I'm, I'm not like that, but he beats Hunter to the stage and just gets on the mic. Just gets up there. And this is why I don't like small towns sometimes. Uh, he gets on the mic and he goes, uh, hey, everybody, thanks for coming out. And everyone cheers. He's like, oh, it's you. And he goes, it's, it's so great that we were all born the right color. Because, you know, it's just all white people. Yeah. And me and Hunter looked at each other and we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and he's like, Hunter's like, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know. I've never had anything like this happen. And he keeps going on about it. Finally, Brad just walks off stage drunk. I said his fucking name. Jesus. <laughs> so then Hunter goes up on stage, just brings me up, and I get up there, and no one's listening. Hmm. Not one person is fucking listening to me. The person heckling me the most is Brad. Hmm. Yelling at me from the table. I mean, I'm trying to do jokes. And this was a few years back, and I'm not used to doing an hour. Right. So he's heckling me, and I'm fucking pounding on him like I'm getting him back, getting him back, getting some laughs, getting some pops here and there. And then Brad gets pissed off. He walks up to me and he wants to fight. Never, like he comes up, arms outstretched. He's like, you want to fucking go? Because he's now pissed off that I made him look like an asshole. Yeah. Because I told him, I was like, Brad, just shut your fucking mouth, you drunk retard. <laughs> and he goes, you want to fucking go? You want to take this outside? <laughs> I'm on stage. I'm on stage. And like, I, 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 no, I don't. I want to finish my show. So I, I meandered through the next half hour. And it was abysmal. It was one of, it's the worst set I've ever done in my life. Uh, half my fault for letting these people get so drunk. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're, they're animals. Yeah, if you're bringing pe- going around town picking people up on a party bus, yeah, and bringing them to a show. Three shows before that, it worked great. Yeah. But then people started seeing the bus as the actual party part. Right. Like the bus became the important part of the show. Right, like, right. Damn, they pick us up in buses, we can get... That, that's my fuck up. Mm-hmm. But after the show... Brad comes up to me, he's like, that show was amazing. Wasn't that show great? Huh. And I look, I'm like, are you fucking stupid? This is the worst show I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I will never come back here again to do this. And it's the worst when you're the organizer, like you're producing mm-hmm. it and putting it together. And it's just like, because usually when you set up, uh, well, obviously, goes without saying, when you set up these things, you're, you're, especially being a comic, you're so careful about all the ingredients being there so you can have a good show and then train wreck. I find small towns are <clears throat> all like that. It's either... It's either like great because they've been planning it for so long and they've been advertising it forever and it's like amazing or exactly that. Just a complete fucking shit show. I love them now. Mm-hmm. Now I, like I can't get enough of them. I find them fun. Even when they're bad, I love them because yeah. they're interesting at the very least. Like they'll, they'll make it something. Mm-hmm. So now when I go into those towns, but I've learned like when I was doing that gig back home, I was, I was much younger. Just still learning how to do that kind of time, how to deal with that type of person. Yeah. But now, like, I got a good grasp on it. I've also been that guy a bunch. Yeah. Uh, just being that belligerently drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, I do drink a lot. So 
I've learned, I've under, I understand where they come from now. So I'm not so angry when they get on top of me. Because mm-hmm. I, I can usually play it out. I can usually have some fun with them. And usually you just find the biggest asshole in the group. If you can take him out, everyone else will fall in line. Yeah. Well, I, yes. The worst is when, because a lot of the times, too, they all know each other in those crowds. Yeah. So that makes it hard, too. Because if you turn on one, they can easily just all decide to turn on you. But I had a flip out this week. Whereabouts? In at, town? At, yeah, at Spirits. Just when you think you can handle any heckle and right. you, like, you got a good grasp on the job, something new and fucked up happens. What happened? Uh, this bitch at my show set her head on fire in the crowd. Just lighter to hair? No, she uh, drunk and I brought up the first guest. It was great off the top, had so much fun. I was talking to the crowd and, you know, but she was drunk and she laughed at this comics joke and she dipped, put her hair down on the table and there was a candle there oh, fuck. and her fucking head went up. It was a puff of smoke. We had to open up all the windows. It yeah, stunk. That reeks. Oh, it smelled so fucking bad. But then she tried to overcompensate because she was embarrassed, mm-hmm. as you should be. She tried to overcompensate by not shutting the fuck up about it. Right. So just for the rest of the show, just talk about it and talk and keep bringing it up and talking loud and not at the comic, like having a conversation with her friends. Did you see what I did? <laughs> did you see what? That's crazy. Like, good thing I needed a haircut, like shit like that. And I snapped, like I fucking lost it, like four or five comics in. Like I, I have a cordless, so I walked up to her in the crowd, put my hand on her while she was in the middle of a conversation. Talked to her, and she didn't even know I was touching her. Was she wasted? Smashed. Oh, yeah. Smashed. And she finally looked up at me. I go, hi, yeah, you're at a show. And then I just said some hurtful things, and the crowd didn't appreciate it because I didn't... She's, she's, in, she's in a vulnerable place, right? She's right. Uh, a female. She's drunk. Mm-hmm. She just set her head on fucking fire. Yeah. Uh, so she didn't... It wasn't appreciated how I reacted to what happened. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, I realized, yeah, I went a little too hard. I took it a little too seriously. Like, I should have just acknowledged the fact that the craziest fucking thing happened. Yeah, right. And had more fun with it from that point of view. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, even, you know this far in and as good as I think I am, I still get hit with these green moments. These moments are like, I never had to do anything like this. It's yeah. so fucked up. Yeah. And it's when you let it affect you. Yeah. And you let that show on stage. That's, that's again when the, you can lose the whole crowd. And at Spirits, it's hard too because it's a free comedy show, right? Mm-hmm. And people just, because some people know that it's going to be happening or could they be just... Everyone is pretty aware there's going to be a show. They're told when they come in, like if they don't know there's a show, they're aware of it happening anyway. Right. Like they have a great staff there mm-hmm. and they've, the show's been running for 16 years. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, 18 years. Uh, I've been running it for two. Um, so yeah, it's established in the community and generally the audience knows that there's going to be a show. Mm-hmm. So people will leave. They see me setting up, and like, oh, God, fucking comedy. And then they'll just bounce. They'll go to the other side of the room. Or You say you drink a lot. How much do you drink? I've been calm the last couple of months. Like, I've been trying yeah. to calm down, trying to... Yeah, because when I... Actually, when we worked together in Ajax, we were talking about that. Yeah, I've been... It sort of slowed down. I lost 50 pounds. Yeah, you look you look really fit. Yeah, I've been You look exercise- fit. You've got a shaved chest. You're, you're doing That's it. That's so stupid. You're killing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to do better with my overall health. Mm-hmm. And it's because I think uh, there's a realization of what this lifestyle can do to your body. Yeah. And no one tells you that when you start comedy. They tell you everything like, oh, you got to be out doing it every night. It's all about jokes, getting laughs, you know, work, if you work hard, all the, like all the information you get in the package at the beginning, it's important. 
but no one tells you, oh, and uh, this is really fucking tough physically. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't expect it. You're up there with a mic. You don't have to lift anything. But the, the amount of time you spend in bars, how easy it is to drink. Oh, fuck. Especially when you're new and nervous. Yeah. Nothing feels better than having a couple of shots and oh, hitting the stage. God. You loosen right up. And it becomes a crutch. Like when I started, I didn't drink at all or anything to, to get on. I was so scared to. Then you have one beer. You're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Then you have two or three. And then then you, ha- you can't imagine not having it. Yeah. I've built up a pretty awesome tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started... So I was never much of a drinker, but when I started working, I used I started with Absolute Comedy. Mm-hmm. So when I started working there, I was so nervous to work professionally on a weekend on my own too, not opening. Right. Like, so I, uh, I'd start off like a double jack. I'm a whiskey drinker, so I'd have a double jack before I got up. Then you know it didn't take long before the double jack wasn't enough hmm. to curb or to curb that uh, nervousness. Mm-hmm. Then it became two double jacks, and then I'm taking two, a double up with me. Now I'm slurring before I even start the fucking show. <laughs> and the other thing about boozing before a show, I don't do it so much anymore because mm-hmm. mostly I'm driving to where I'm going. So, and I don't drink and drive. It's one of my, one things I'm like, it's fucking horrible. Yeah. I don't, uh, anyone who doesn't like, you're a fucking moron. Even coming from a small town, that's nothing. You, that's you know. why I'm like that. Right. Because everyone did. Did you ever, never? Like I did when, once. Yeah. Once. And I never, I was so fucking drunk, I got in my car. Because I was at a party where it was like five couples and then me. Mm-hmm. So all these couples had kind of gone to, this was when I was in high school. All these couples had kind of gone to different bedrooms. Because they all wanted to fuck each other. Mm-hmm. Which is totally understandable, but I'm, I'm smashed and really uncomfortable. Because I got no one to talk to. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, fuck it, I'm going home. And in my small town, this, uh, it's a hill. So you start at the top and you kind of drive downhill to get to my place. So I'm smashed, I'm driving down this hill, and I keep seeing all these red lights. I see a red lights, I'm like, oh, fuck, that's a ride check. So then I take a side road and go deeper into the country to go around it. Mm-hmm. But then as I keep going down this you know, giant hill, I'd see more lights pop up like further in down. front of me, further right. down. I'm like, fuck, they opened up another ride check. Jesus, so I have to go deeper. It took me an hour and a half to get home, which is usually 20 minutes. But what I realized when I got home, it was a fucking train going <laughs> through all the stops through town. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm from a super small town too, and it was just the norm, drinking and driving. I'm not proud of it. I I did it, but yeah, it was just like you'd go out and you wouldn't even make plans. It's like, oh, how are you getting home? I'm driving. What else? like, how else do you think? Yeah, I'm still not used to making plans. That is something the country gives you. It's just a uh, innocuous view of time. Mm-hmm. Like, I will figure it out when it fucking happens. Who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll party and then we'll yeah, someone will drive us. We'll be fine. And, you know, it's fine until it's not. Right. You know, I... No, that's the thing. It's so stupid. I mean, it's... Well, I knew yeah. I knew some guys in school. They got really fucked up. Like, to car accidents. And yeah, same. Broken hips and spines and shit. And it's, it's rough to see, especially a teenager who's got a whole life in front of them. Mm-hmm. And this one idiot thing they did. Like, even getting in a car with someone who's drunk. You're a moron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, fuck. It's so, so I, that's stupid. a little harsh. I shouldn't say it, you're a moron. It's it's just well, not, it's so avoidable. I mean, it's, it is so avoidable, and it, it's. I only say you're a moron because I don't want you to do it. Yeah. I hope that me going insulting you like that would be enough for you to think about it the next time you do. Yeah, totally. And and so has your drinking ever been like a hindrance on your stand up career? Do you think? In the beginning, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What I noticed was it was easier to get up and talk. Mm-hmm. But what no one tells you, and there's so many older comics that do it. Because they grew up that way. Right. And they're hilarious. And you're like, oh, look at that party lifestyle. I want that lifestyle. I want that. 
and it, you f- don't think about the work they actually had to do. Yeah. But what I also noticed is when you got smashed on stage, yes, it was easier to talk, but it also dulled the actual laughs, the uh, the energy, the uh, endorphin rush that you get mm-hmm. from doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. That also is much smaller when you're fucked up. So you don't when you get that big laugh, it doesn't feel as big when you're drunk. You're just numb to it. You're numb to it. So I was getting off stage going, that was a good set. It wasn't a bad set, but I really have no feeling towards it either way. Mm-hmm. And I had enough of those sets. Like, I used to, I enjoy doing this. Why am I not feeling that rush? Put the booze down, go up. And then I, I was driving one night. Like, I'm just drinking water. I'm not even taking a beer up with me. Because it also becomes a part of your persona. Yeah. Like, oh, I have the beer. That proves that yeah. I drink. When I talk about being an alcoholic in one of my jokes. Right. This, this all fits. It matches, yeah. And it's completely unnecessary, and it's all bullshit. It's all in your own brain. It's ideas. Just you build ideas. your own blocks, and yeah. so it's like I'm taking water up and doing my act, and it was fucking so much fun. Yeah, you're to present, be clear, you're like, present. It's nerve. The nervousness comes back a bit mm-hmm. too, and you're like, and I've learned to enjoy the nervousness because that means you're excited. Mm-hmm. Now your brain's flooding your body with chemicals, and that's the drug that I truly love. Mm-hmm. So where, where are you at with it now? Do you still uh, get drunk and perform? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, I do it at Spirits. Right. So I open up the show, have a drink with me, do 10 to 15 off the top, start bringing up the acts, and that's my drinking night. Now that I'm bringing up acts, I don't have to do so many jokes. I can just comment on other jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have a bunch. That's my big drinking night. Yeah, Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights. And What about uh, pot? Was that ever a thing for you? No, it's only recently. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You've turned to the marijuana? Well, with not drinking so much, you get. You ever go to bed sober? Fuck, it's hard. Yeah, I do it it's every so fucking night. It's fucking tough. I know. Like to sit there in your own goddamn brain. I've discovered Neo Citrin to help with that. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it right the fuck out. It was something, because uh, I had a really bad drinking time last year mm-hmm. in the winter. I, would, I drank a lot. And that was because things were going on in my life that were making me very unhappy, mm-hmm. uh, very hard to deal with, very depressing. So I was waking up in the morning, having a cup of coffee with like half whiskey in it. And it was really heavy shit I was dealing with, which you know about. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we have to get into it too deeply. It's up to you. We can touch on it. We can go into it deeply. It's your your call. Where This is your show. It's all about Cal, Callington Post. Uh, okay, we can get into it briefly. So uh, my ex, mm-hmm. uh, she was diagnosed a few years back with uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and... Uh, dementia mm-hmm. which and, was an incredible shock in the community and to everyone yeah and, and to, they're horrible diseases just awful to watch the uh degradation it, i mean yeah i'm not going to comment on it too much because obviously your perspective is different but it just seems like one of the worst un, like relentless sort of unforgiving it's completely unforgiving it, it locks you in your body it, it it's horrible so i was her primary caregiver for two years mm-hmm and it started getting very, very difficult for me um, in the in last winter. And the progression kind of started just like slowly. It started with speech. Speech. Then... But because it started with her speech and she was a comedian, like she lost her job immediately. Right. So there was a, a lot of depression involved. And it took, it took a little bit uh, between the time of like when there are actual symptoms to like a diagnosis, right? Like it took a year, yeah. It took a year of just speculation and... and no one knew what was happening. 
and was she at that point going to doctors or anything like that or was just oh all the time yeah Yeah, we were going to doctors constantly and no one could figure it out well when you get the thing with als is there is no um treat not treatment there is no test to do for it Mm -hmm. so they eliminate everything else they have to eliminate everything else so they you know they look for ms i mean when they when we started going to the doctor for it those first few times Mm -hmm. They go, this could, because it started out with a slur in the speech. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought she was drunk on yeah, stage. Yeah, And that wasn't the case at all. It was something neurological. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the doctor goes, well, it could be a hundred different things. And he goes, it could be something as simple as this. And then at the bottom of the list was ALS. And they told us that. So bottom of the list, very unlikely, Lou Gehrig's disease. Because it is pretty rare. I mean... It's rare for her age, too. Right. You know, she was 40... Five, I think, at diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I took care of her as long as I could. But last winter was my breaking point. Uh, and I mean, you're uprooting like, your whole life is a complete 180. I mean, it changes everything, and you just have to to deal with it. It's like survival kicks in, and you sort of, uh, yeah, because you're forced you're forced to mature and grow up and and be selfless and make it all about someone well, you, else. You do start living for another person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my whole schedule was around what she needed, and then you know people would come at night. To, we had nurses come by during the day so that I could you know maybe go to the gym or mm-hmm. I had to do groceries or laundry and shit like that. And then you know someone would come in at night when I would go out because I got to go do my job. I got to mm-hmm. go do comedy. Because so for how long like when you were taking care of her did. Did you guys live in the same, like together at that point? Uh, say that again? Like how, how many months did you do that before you, like you guys lived at that together? Yeah, we lived together for the eight years. Yeah, she was sick for just over like about two and a half. Of so it. two and a half is what you, and like what yeah. you took care of her when you guys were living together. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah, it was going out and going out at night to do comedy. Friends would come over to watch her at night. Mm-hmm. And, but then that's when I was getting really sad because I felt kind of locked in. Yeah, and I mean, I can't even imagine, like, and so you're starting to take over Spirits, which is, you know. Yes, I'm the full, I'm the full host at this point. And, and everything about Spirits screams Joanna, so you're, yeah. every week you're reminded, and you have to go out and do it, it's your sort of duty, and then you mm-hmm. go out and do it, and while you're there, you're thinking about it the whole time, then you go home, so I imagine, yeah, the drinking is just... Yeah, and the it, drinking became incessant, and it did exactly what booze does. It dulls your emotions. Mm-hmm. It makes you not think about things. It didn't make me happy, but it stopped me from being really sad. Just numbs you, yeah. So, yeah, I got really bad last winter. Mm-hmm. I think, like, over the Christmas week that week that year, like, I had a bar bill. I collected all my—I keep all my mm-hmm. bar bills because I'm always curious as to where I drank. Mm-hmm. So I was 90 drinks Holy in shit. six days. Holy shit. And that doesn't include what I was drinking in the morning when I woke up, like mm-hmm. my own stash of booze. So the doctors had decided it was not safe living with me. Mm-hmm. Not because of the booze, but just because I'm one person. Right. And she's getting to the point where she needed 24-hour care mm-hmm. and constant a constant watch. So... She went to move in with her parents, who are doing a fantastic job. I'm so impressed with how well they're taking care of her right yeah. now. I still see her all the time. I go there two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. You know, I pull, I, I call them shifts. I go in, I see her for five or six hours. I feed her. I, 
know, just sit there with her. And and it's like you said, like she was she had the ALS, but she was also diagnosed around the same time with dementia. So yeah. does she recognize you and stuff like that now? Yeah, she is. Uh, it's, it's called a FTD, frontal temporal lobe dementia. Mm-hmm. So that's your higher function. That's where you hold empathy, emotion, mm-hmm. uh, knowledge of language. But in terms of like long term memory, that sits farther back in the brain. So anyone she's known for a long time, like she'll remember you. Right. Uh, if she meets you now. Mm-hmm. she's probably not going to remember you. Right. But. And so then at what point did you did you move out? That was last year? Yeah, last year. So I moved out, moved in with a buddy of mine, Hunter, who's awesome. Mm-hmm. So you and had then to, I, I spent my time trying to put myself back together. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You have to start out. You kind of, everything's uprooted twice when she gets sick and you have to take care yeah. of her. Your whole life changes and then all of a sudden the next stage when you inevitably when you move out and you move on your own or you're doing it all over again you're rebuilding and how are you with that uh i love change i've always loved change because it it, creatively it helps you Mm -hmm. you got to put yourself in the places that are scary um and this was scary Mm -hmm. i had an act that was purely a relationship act right that i had to dump because you know they didn't apply anymore to my life Mm mm-hmm so that was exciting and new and scary to write a brand new. Like I needed a new 20 within like a month. Right. And I did it and it was just, it was good. It was better than the stuff I'd been using for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed her when I moved out, but, uh, and I still do. Of course. I'm um, obviously, yeah. And now, so you took over Spirits. Uh, the Eden House eventually moved to Monthly and now that's taken over by... I gave that show to Sandra Battellini. Right. Right, right, right. She's a fucking awesome bitch. Yeah, I love she's that girl. Great. She's great. Yeah, she's fantastic. And how are you finding it? So taking over the the show, I mean, still, I mean, again, everything in there just screams out Joanna. So are you, um, when you're there, are you kind of uh, reminded of her all the time? Are you? How are you with the show? And then how do you take that and make it sort of your own thing now? I think what happened during the time she was sick and we were together, I, that's where I grew a huge, I got a huge comedy boner mm-hmm. in that time because it was the place that was making me happy. It was really the only place where I was, I was sincerely smiling right. and happy to be somewhere. Mm-hmm. So when I fully took over Spirits, uh, I was delighted. And comedians helped me so much through our hard times together. Right. Comedians, was, I was very proud to be a comedian. I am proud to be a comedian. Mm-hmm. But the, the community reached out. You know, everyone was like, hey, like I had so much, there was so much empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, comics come up like, how you doing? Can I do anything for you? What do you need? Or just sitting with me. Comics would just let me vent. Me sitting at the end of a bar having a drink and guy coming up, how's it going? Eh. It's okay. It's like, no, no, how's it really going? And they just let me fucking go off. And then they wouldn't tell everybody what I said, which was nice. Yeah. We have a supportive community. Like when things go down. We have a wonderful support. It's only the business aspect that makes it kind of shitty sometimes. Yeah. You know, you see guys get something that you wanted and, you know, a festival you wanted and Mm -hmm. get. And you see that and you're like, ah, fuck, I wish I had that. And your impulse to go, fuck that guy. I'm funnier. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, you're right. At the end of the day, it really doesn't it matter. It doesn't matter. All, all that matters is that when you're on stage, you're happy, 
and you're getting what you want out of it. Mm-hmm. And I love getting laughs. And that, that to me makes us all at the same level. Totally. So a guy who's got 100 credits, he's the same as me. Totally. And I'm not jealous of his success. Good for you. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you're better than me because of those credits. We do the same job. We make people happy. We're peers. Yeah. Yeah. And when push comes to shove, it's, it's, it is pretty great to see the comics come out of the word work and support each other. Did you feel any sort of um, pressure when you took over the room? Or were you so like, because you've been doing that room weekly, basically, for the last eight years. Was it, did it just come second nature? Or now did you all of a sudden feel the pressure of, oh, now I'm the host producer of the number one longest running and best open mic in the country. Does that cross your mind at any point, or you just keep doing it because you've doing it, been doing it for? No, I never felt pressure. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of understood, I think, by everybody that yes, I take it over. Um, What was uh, important to me, though, why I wanted to, I wanted to do it as well. I this is how I thank comedians for all the help they've given me. Mm -hmm. So it's like yes, I want to book comedians. I want to help them because they deserve help. So if I can give them some stage time, that's wonderful. And I want to give them an audience that wants to see them too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was, I was over the moon to uh, take over and book it. And, and yeah, no pressure. I think that because most comics, almost every comic knows my situation. Yeah. That uh, they were all, everyone was so nice. And no one, no one said I didn't deserve it. Or no one said anything negative about me taking it over. Right. I mean, there's no way I can fill her shoes. There's no way that's happening. And I'm, I'm not blind to that. Uh, she was so great at what she did. It ran for 16 years under her for a reason. Yeah, totally. Yeah, she was great. She was an incredible talent. Mm-hmm. So basically they said, you know, when, you, when she did a show for you there, you felt like you were in her living room. Right. What, it took me a while to realize is that I'm not going to do that. I'm not the same kind of comedian as she was. And off the top, I made that mistake. I tried to be, I tried to fill that hole mm-hmm. and give an audience what they were missing because they did, they missed her as well. And then it took me a while to realize that I can't do that. That's not who I am. I'm the guy, it's going to feel like we're out in the garage smoking cigarettes because yeah. they don't want us inside. Like <laughs> right. that's how the room's starting to feel now. You know, it's a little taboo. It's a little, it's grittier. It's, mm-hmm. But I've been having a lot of fun booking new people, people who usually wouldn't perform there. Mm-hmm. There's so many more comics now, so I've been cycling them through. Dealing with amateurs has been a fucking mind-numbing experience, though. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk uh, about, technically speaking, the production side of things. It's a full-time job running a weekly show. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's it's just emails, man. So many fucking emails. So what, what uh, specifically are you finding it hard to deal with um, amateurs? Well, my audience is spoiled. Right. They're so... Because they see great comics. The best of the best. Um, I'm very lucky to have inherited a room that has such respect attached to it Mm -hmm. because great comics want to do it too. They have nostalgia towards the room. They've been performing there themselves for many years. Mm -hmm. So the audience is spoiled in that they have a high bar. So I have a hard time... Excuse me. uh, ...putting a lot of amateurs on because they don't have the skill set yet. Right. So I'm booking two amateurs a show... I'm booked up to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I haven't even looked at next year yet because I just I don't want to do it yet. Mm-hmm. But I've got at least 120 to 150 comics who want spots. That's crazy. That's... I could I could with that I could book up 
the next two years mm-hmm. if I keep booking just two amateurs per show. How many comics do you book on total? Did did the number go down? Did it? Yeah, I dropped yeah. the number. Right. Because um, it used to be like ten, and now it's used like to be five ten. Or six, I put on seven, two amateurs, five pros. The two amateurs come on, and they just got to swing for the fences and do their best shit. And do you because th- you throw them on any time? Yeah, I always put. I never put an amateur on off the top mm-hmm. ever. I don't. I don't do the weakest to strongest. Right. I want to start really strong. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. So I put on. Yeah, I put on an ass kicker right off the top. Mm-hmm. I'll put an amateur comic on two, three in. You know, let him swim. And then I'll put an am. Usually I put the other amateur on right before the last guy. Mm-hmm. So by the time that guy goes up, they've seen a guy like Mike Wilmot, Ryan Belleville. Mm-hmm. You know, great comics. Dave great Hempstead, comics, Rob yeah. Pugh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they got to follow all that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, sink or swim, buddy. I had to do it once. I still do it. Yeah. Yeah, you still have a week after week. And it's such a great room for even just the, the people that hang out there. It's really like an inst- institution in the, not just the Toronto comedy scene, but the Canadian comedy scene, you know, people come through town spirits. It's such yeah. a, it's a staple. That's the word. It was and I'd love for. to put more amateurs on, but my audience wouldn't have it. No, and you need to, I think it's good that you do that because then it's, it gives amateurs something to work up towards. I mean, they know when they do spirits, they're like, you know, it's a big deal. But I'm noticing a lot of amateurs not sticking around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's changed. They over do their the years. they do their spot and then they fuck off. Even at ma- like at major clubs, that happens at Yucks. That happens yeah, at Absolute. You know, openers will come in, and it's a great show. And they just do their set and leave. That's a very Toronto thing. I noticed any like smaller town or. Well, I understand because a lot of them can go to another show. Right. Yeah, but you can some nights you can learn just as much by watching the show Absolutely. Or, or more. And, Absolutely. Uh, but people don't understand that. Um, I always used to watch. But we live in a very egocentric world now. Right. I mean, with things like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all these things, you now live in a lifestyle that's conducive only to you. Right. On Facebook, here's what I think. That's right. On Instagram, here's what I'm looking at. That's so true. Uh, Twitter, here's what I'm thinking right now. Mm -hmm. And you're not taking in anyone else. Like, I don't know anyone with Twitter who actually reads everyone they follow. Right. No, yeah. Like, I have Twitter. I rarely use it. I usually use it just to pump up a show. I'm the same way. But I uh, think you're not supposed to use it that way, but that's the way I use it. Yeah, I have no fucking idea <laughs> about this shit. But I know, like, I've got, like, 200 followers. Mm-hmm. Only because I'm not active. I don't even really try to find But I'm following 50. I never read them, ever. Right. But I think that's the disservice this stuff does to people. They, It's creating bubbles. Mm-hmm. People are now living in their own bubble. Their opinions matter more. Because they only ever see their opinions. Mm-hmm. Totally, everyone's you know, their yeah. feeds are all filled full of their own opinions, and everyone's a star of their own world. Like yeah, Nathan uh, McIntosh said it best. Uh, a comedian lives in New York now. Canadian guy, very very fucking funny. Yeah, hilarious. But yeah, I I read this one thing he wrote. He goes, uh, "Everyone's Jay Z on Facebook." Hmm. I was like, "That's fucking perfect." Yeah, everyone's just living the high life. Yeah, that's the that's the the age we live in. Do you find uh, hosting spirits that? Um, you, sometimes you work out your hosting muscle too much and then it's hard to do sets or are you the opposite where you so look forward to just doing sets and it's better it's easier it depends on what kind of mood i'm in because mm-hmm. i am there every week and i have regulars who know me intimately at this point yeah uh in the last year year and a half the audience has flipped a good chunk of the audience isn't even aware that there was another host prior to me mm-hmm you know, they come to see me now and to see the show that I'm bringing them, which has been really interesting. 
because it's changing up the style of the room. A room that was gay-centric mm-hmm. uh, when I started there eight years ago, primarily gay audience, really fucking fun. They were a blast. Mm-hmm. Gay audiences are the best. Well, one of your biggest shows every year is the Pride Show, right? Yeah, and I do two of them now. Is that right? Yeah, I do one in January. I do Winter Pride. Really? Yeah, I got so bored waiting around for the next. <laughs> Pride shows are so much fucking fun. Yeah, and I usually don't even host them. Like I get a, right. I get one of my gay friends to come in and host because I, you know, it's not really, it's not my night. Mm-hmm. This is a night for them to celebrate what they had to go through. So fuck me, straight white guy. <laughs> you don't want to see me up there any more than. So fuck it, yeah. I give the whole night away to the gay guys. And women. Mm-hmm. And just let them run. And they're so much fun. Yeah, and you get good crowds. You're right there in the village. Yeah, right there in the village. Great crowds. Uh, we've lo- I've lost most of the gay crowd that we that used to come regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just because like, I know a lot of those guys. And they just got older. And they moved away. We Thankfully, we live in a city now where they don't have to live on one fucking street. They can now live anywhere they like. Mm-hmm. And everyone's accepting for the most part. And that's wonderful. But in that... You know, the church street isn't as interesting as it used to be, mm-hmm. even when I moved there. It's not nearly as gay. It was so awesome, and it was super gay. Yeah. You go down on a Monday night, there was a party happening somewhere on a yeah. Monday, because mm. they know how to party. Do you have any plans for the show for the future, or are you, see, or are you just seeing it keep, and keep going like the way it is now? Uh, I've been running into issues, because I, uh, I do at least one super show a month, mm-hmm. like one specialty show. You know, usually tying in with whatever holidays that month. And I, I enforced that at the beginning of when I started because I wanted to give a show, people to come for a reason. Oh, it's right. the Christmas show. Oh, it's this show. It's yeah. the Valentine's Day show. And it does work. It's it a, does work. People come session. for it. But then what happens is the other shows in between suffer. Yeah, because they Cause wait now, for that one. Now people are waiting just for the big shows. Right. And I'd like to take the show back to where it is, and it's not always a celebration. Mm-hmm. It's not always a big deal. How about just a really funny show every week? And it is. It's a really funny show every week. So I want to kind of bring it back to that. Tone down the big... S- like, we did the anniversary show uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Or no, sorry, the week before, two weeks ago. 18 a- years. 18 years, that's crazy. And it was fantastic. It was so much fucking fun. The lineup was crazy good. Mm-hmm. And the audience bought me a shot in between every comic. <laughs> you had blackout on stage? I did 10 shots in an hour and a half. What's your last memory of that night? I remember all of it. Oh, you remember all yeah, of it? Yeah, yeah. I remember going home. Mm-hmm. I remember my brain going, it's time to go home. You said earlier, I don't know if you said this on mic. No, off mic. You walk a lot places. Do you walk home after shows or do you at that point? It depends how drunk I am. Spirits, yeah. I usually don't because I'm drunk. And that's a fucking trek, man. Yeah, it's like an hour. Shit. So yeah, I don't, after spirits, I, I take a cab home because I usually close the bar mm-hmm. and I'm in no place to be walking around <laughs> is that your uh is that your um main exercise walking everywhere you go to the gym or anything like that no i don't go to the gym i used to intensively go to the gym now it's uh i do calisthenics so it's just body weight stuff calisthenics it sounds like an exercise you made up i know it sounds like i made it up just for me <laughs> i do calisthenics go to my website to find all about it no it's just a body weight movement Right. So it's a lot of push-ups, pull-ups, squats. Yeah, well, you lit up when you came in here and saw the, the pull-up bar. You're like, let's go. I fucking love pull-ups. Let's go get hardware now to push. Let's save up. your fucking life. <laughs> yeah, because you said one time at the Ajax green room, that's when you've been your most toned by doing pull-ups. All the oh, time. yeah, pull-ups. That'll get you your abs. That'll get you everything you need. Squats and pull-ups are fucking awesome. Squats, pull-ups, and enough of whiskey will shed 50 pounds. <laughs> 
No time. I mean, the best, if you want to lose weight, squats is a great exercise and biking's fantastic mm-hmm. because uh, your biggest muscle groups are your legs. Right. So if you can work them out, I think that people have this idea that wherever you have fat, you have to work out that area to lose that fat. Like if you have stomach fat, oh, you do a bunch of sit-ups, like, nah, it doesn't, no, nah, that won't help. Yeah. Because your abs are really small little muscles. It's great that they look good, but if you're, you're a fat guy, like I was a fat guy, sit-ups aren't really going to do that much. Mm. You want to work your legs because that muscle group will need energy. Right. So if you're eating right and you're working out your legs, they're going to pull it from your stomach because mm-hmm. that's where your body's keeping it. I kept a lot in my face too, so it all, it all went really quick. Like yeah. I lost the 50 pounds in under six months, so then everything after that was just toning. Yeah. You know, because when you lose that kind of weight, you, know, yeah, at you, least you, you look a little silly. I was going to say, bit. any loose skin? Yeah, yeah I, got some, I got a little loose skin around the midsection, <laughs> yeah. but uh, that's, that's going away as I work out a little harder. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't have to do it nearly as intense as before. So walking has replaced biking. And, you know, any sort of, like I used to row a lot. I replaced rowing with just push-ups because mm-hmm. I'm just doing maintenance now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every other day I do 200 push-ups. And on my off day, I try to do at least 100 mm-hmm. every day. That's pretty good. But that keeps, that's just maintaining. Yeah. It's not building anything, but it's not, I'm so doing that's, something. That's a good amount. Cool, man. So what's next? What's coming up in uh, Cal Post's world? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. What is coming up? Christmas. Christmas. Anything, yeah, you, anything you want to plug? Spirits every Wednesday. Oh, this will be fun. Um, I was just talking to the owner of Yuck Yucks, Mark mm-hmm. Breslin. Really sweet. He's always been really sweet to me. I like him. But uh, he said he's going to give me a feature in the new year, so I'll be headlining the downtown at some point. But we're going to do a specialty show. We're going to do uh, straight white guys. Yeah, oh yeah, you were talking about that. That's I'm, ho- I'm hoping it comes to fruition because I'm really excited about it because I feel like in this world right now... It's a good premise for a show. Yeah, and it's... A lot of people already... Like I've told other people about this show, and they're you know, just three straight white guys. Mm-hmm. And they're like, isn't that every show? And it does feel like that sometimes. But I really want the, the programming to be oriented towards uh, what's been happening in the news... You know, between, between feminism, racism, and all these horrible things that have been happening, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like straight white guys are not even allowed to have an opinion right. because I've been having conversations. Like, I want to talk about these heavy issues. I really do. And I feel for the person, the victims involved, I really do. But every time I go to say something, I just, if I'm talking to a feminist, she's like, well, you, you, have, you can't say anything. Hmm. What are you going to say? Right. You have no idea what any, it's like, yeah, but I want to. I just want to take part in the conversation. Yeah, so at least if you make it the theme of the show, then you can really milk it. But it almost seems like, yeah, it's, it's uh, my buddy Hunter put it best. He said it's almost open season mm-hmm. on straight white guys. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to spin that into a show and hopefully have some fun with it. I like it. And do you have a website? Calpost.ca. Calpost.ca. There's nothing on it, but I'll fix that. I'll <laughs> fix it, I swear. Yeah, well, again, it's like you said, you, you, it's so hard to put stuff out there because you're over it um, so quick. But I think it's something, because uh, I feel the same way, but it is something that you need to just eventually get over and just put shit out there. Because we do live in a day and age where people want to see stuff online all the time. This is, whenever, whenever there's a shift in society like this, mm-hmm. it's sink or swim. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't take part and get left behind. Mm-hmm. But know that, that that's your fault that or get involved and try to move forward stay involved mm-hmm. so i i don't want to be left behind so yeah i'll, I'll figure it out I'll so get it out. on it calpost.ca uh thanks for doing it brother appreciate it thanks buddy that yeah. went by so fast super fast anything you want to add 
Nah, I think we're good. Yeah, we actually were just over an hour. Fuck, that was so quick. So quick. I could talk for another hour. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot and watch your head. Yeah, thanks, buddy. And there she is, folks. Episode 24, Locked Down. That's right. Thanks to my guest, Cal Post. It was a good chat, good catch-up sesh, as they say. And as always, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I appreciate you from the bottom of me. And uh, quick plug, Moncton, coming to you December 19th, Friday, next week already. And uh, tickets are going fast. So as the Empress Theater in Evening of Comedy with Julian Dion and Jen Grant, Tickets available at uh, capital.nb.ca. All right. Thank you. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at JD Comedy Hour. Go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash, you know, JD Comedy Hour. That's it. 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 I think. That's right. Enjoy. uh, Enjoy. Enjoy life. (laughs) Watch your head. Walking Shaw, on Hagen, Nussbaum, Matt O'Brien. So there's no censorship or anything, right? No. Fuck no. All right. <clears throat> okay. So get comfortable. You can adjust that in every which way that you can or want to. Test, 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 test. Yeah, you kind of have to eat it because it's not a soundproof studio. I can't crank up the gain all the way. Like if you were in a soundproof booth, you can be like here and still. Right. But in here, if I I don't want to pick up like outside noise or anything like that. So you sort of have to eat the mic. Ooh. Oh, I just woke up. Cause I'm a bum. Oh, okay. Are those your notes? No, this is what I found. I'll, I'll tell you in a sec here.